Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK shares commentator and uh, writer with Graham Neary of the Small Cap Valley Reports on Stockopedia in our 10th year of me writing those. Obviously another tumultuous week with Liz Truss resigning, but you won't get all my half-baked opinions on politics here. A shares blog should be about shares, not just regurgitating whatever... Uh, daft ideas I may have on politics. That's what I use Twitter for. So now John Authors, the brilliant um, writer at Bloomberg, whose daily email is a must read for me. Everyone should should sign up for that. It's free as well. Now, he says it made an interesting point, actually, that the the chaos currently going on in UK politics doesn't really doesn't matter as uh, as far as the markets are concerned now, because the guilt and the forex markets are now in charge. They've basically dictated uh, government policy by um, having a big sell off when Liz Truss tried to slash all those taxes and run up um, a bigger deficit without having coordinated it with the Bank of England, which of course was a a big mistake. So um, I think for that reason, we should certainly be largely ignoring um, the the politics as, as regards shares. I've been really busy doing um, CEO interviews recently, and I'm really enjoying doing them, actually, but it's a lot of work to prepare and then um, do a written summary as well. So the written summaries for my CEO interviews are just for Stockopedia subscribers, um, but I put out the actual audio interviews uh, for anyone, and I think they're good, even though I say so myself. So how do I choose companies? Well, unlike um, pretty much everyone else, I'm not charging any fees, so that means I can select the companies that I want to interview. And I've got a short list, so I only approach companies to interview them if they've put out uh, an impressive trading update or or, um, interim or final accounts. So strong, good good current trading is essential. A strong balance sheet, absolutely vital. I've always focused on that. Uh, I've also, that's two points. Third point is good business model. Um, Fourth point is strong management. Uh, executing well. And the fifth point is the shares have got to be a reasonable valuation. Now we're in a lovely situation at the moment where lots of the things that meet all my criteria are not just reasonably valued, they're dirt cheap. So really there are such rich pickings around at the moment for people who are prepared to look through the difficult macro situation. So as I mentioned last week, I'm super bullish currently on small cap valuations. And not every company is going, by any means is going to see earnings crashing. You are going to see a a bit of a profit recession, I think, in cyclical companies. But, you know, companies who've got strong recurring revenues that are winning contracts and so on could sail through all of this. So um, lots of opportunities for the brave or foolish, I think, out there. (laughs) So I did an interview with Sanderson Design Group, SDG, which I think was brilliant. That was on Monday. Lisa Montague is an absolutely class act. She's brilliant. She's been with the company now three and a half years, doing a a nice, logical, sensible turnaround strategy. It needed uh, a fair bit of uh, efficiency improvements. And, uh, you know, it's one of those rather sleepy companies where I think they'd they'd let things slip. Well, Lisa's really whipping it into shape now, and they put out a a good update. Um, So I really, uh, unfortunately, I don't hold any Sanderson Design Group myself. I really need to buy some shares myself, but uh, I haven't got any spare cash at the moment, which is so annoying when there are all these bargains around, and I don't really want to sell any of my existing holdings. But do have a listen or a read of that Sanderson Design Group interview. I think it was 
um, very interesting and quite entertaining as well. Lisa's really a strong character and she's got a, uh, a, a good sense of humour and sense of fun as well. And I think her personality and the way she runs the business really comes across. And I think she's an absolutely top-notch CEO for that particular role. What else happened on Monday? Yeah, ASOS, the uh, online um, fashion giant, ticker ASC. Now, I covered the press reports on Monday, uh, the, the press reports over last weekend, rather. I wrote about them on Monday, saying that it's negotiating an amendment to its banking facilities and that a trade credit insurance firm was tightening cover on it, which is all pretty ominous stuff. So... Um, I came back to it on Wednesday when the company put an announcement out, so I'll follow on from that. Excuse me. Now, Made.com put out another update. This is dang hanging by a thread, this one, because it's run running out of cash fast. It's put itself up for sale. It's had a couple of interest, well, a number of interested parties. But it's also said that it's going to need interim funding in the short term from people wanting to bid. Well, that's just an open invitation to hang back and wait for it to go into administration, isn't it? And buy the wreckage without any of the liabilities from the administrator. So I think this is such a high probability of this going bust now. But you never know. That, that's the thing. It's all probabilities. It's not certainty, is it? Only the insiders know if someone's going to bid for it. I can't see why anyone would bid for this, given how close it is to going bust. So, again, I'm steering clear of made.com. I might be proven right, but I just don't want to take the risk. Audio Boom, B-O-O-M, I wrote up on its Q3 update on Monday. Uh, it does sound positive, but the deeper you dig, you can actually see that the sequential movement in quarterly revenues is sharply down. Um, and the really easy prior year comparatives are ending now. So it's going to really struggle, I think, to deliver like-for-like revenue increases when obviously advertisers are, are likely to be cut, cutting back because of the macro pi picture. The cash position at Audio Boom is okay and I do say in my report that to be fair new management have done a good turnaround here um, but I concluded that podcast publishing is a, a very crowded space and it's low margin. I don't know, somebody might buy it. I mean Audio Boom's point of difference is that it actually commissions its own content, its own podcasts. Um, <clears throat> and earns advertising revenue from those. Now, I published this using Acast, which is free, so I can't see why I would want to, to pay a fee to use the Audio Boom platform, but I'm probably not the target customer anyway. But um, I don't know. I can't see anything particularly exciting within Audio Boom other than the potential that somebody might bid for it because it's based in the US and sometimes you know, things attract higher values in the US. Graham looked at Eve Sleep. That's finally gone bust. Uh, went into administration. No surprises there. This thing was um, in the last... Well, we stopped coverage on it in January. I concluded in January 2022 that the chances of this thing succeeding were negligible. Although we did uh, do a couple of subsequent updates on it during the year, really just, you know, confirming that it was best to avoid it. So, I, I you know, it was just a rubbish business model, unfortunately. And as... The CEO of Eve Sleeps famously said in in a webinar about a year or 18 months ago, we're up against a load of very well-funded competition. Now, when she said that, I ran a mile from that stock. I remember at the time, I think it was trading below net cash, so I bought a, a few just as a punt. This is at least a year ago. 
Um, and but when she said that, I thought, ah, that's that's honest of her, but it's an admission that this is very unlikely to succeed. So again, with all these companies that go bust, you can see it coming. It's obvious. On Monday, Graham looked at Victoria, VCP and RM. So see Monday's report if you're interested in those two. So that's six companies on Monday. On Tuesday, Graham and I covered five companies. We try not to overload people. We, we find five or six is usually enough for, for most people and for us. Because remember, we're, we're digging in a fair bit of detail into each of these. Now, Tuesday's report has got the mystery share of the week. So uh, that's uh, my best idea for the week for Stockopedia subscribers only. Other companies we looked at on Tuesday. Now, this is interesting. FinCap, F-C-A-P, confirms speculation by Sky. It always seems to be Sky who gets these scoops. I don't know why. Uh, that it's received a bid approach from Pamuel Gordon. Now, I think that makes a lot of sense. There are far too many of these small brokers around. It's, it would be better if they amalgamate, I think. Although, I have to say, I'm a big supporter of FinCap because they are so good at getting information out to private investors. They seem to be one of um, not that many uh, smaller brokers, well, brokers, big or small, that recognise that for smaller caps, it's the private investors who are the market. We're the people who set the price and create all the market liquidity. So if they don't engage with us and don't get information out to us, you know, if they jealously guard their research notes, like Peel Hunt does, for example, well, all the big brokers uh, try and stop us getting hold of them. I understand why, because they're selling them to institutions and you know if you, they then give them away free the institutions won't need to pay for them so there is there is it's not just haughtiness or high-handedness although there's a bit of that as well with disdain for private investors I think they think we're all muppets but there's also that that commercial reason why they hold back well whereas with FinCap they uh, publish I think all their research for, for anyone to read which is incredibly useful. And if we have research on companies, we understand them better, we're more likely to transact in the shares, aren't we? So I think if Pamuels buy FinCap, I really hope they keep the brand and keep FinCap's approach to um, openness and getting information out to uh, private investors. Also, I've been to FinCap's offices many, many times to meet company management. They're often very keen to get... Uh, um, private investors in front of company management because we often ask questions that are just as good or even sometimes better than the uh, the fund managers and the analysts do. I've heard that from the horse's mouth from many companies. They really, when they get in front of private investors, they're really impressed at the, with, with the quality. Whereas unfortunately, ridiculous bulletin boards like ADVFN, where all the nutters post all these abusive comments to each other, it gives the impression to company management that the private investors are, are a bunch of abusive muppets. Um, so that's why I think it's important for them to actually interact with us on sensible platforms. Um, and all the webinars platforms like Investor Meet Company and PI World and so on are certainly helping in that regard. So uh, yeah, so Pam yours, if you do buy FinCap, make sure you keep their ethos of engaging with private investors. And why can't you do the same? Pamuels have published things on Research Tree before, but I think they've stopped, which I'm very disappointed at, actually. Now, Revolution Bars. <laughs> um, I'm not currently holding this one. Um, it announced its uh, June 2022 results, which were, which were slightly delayed because they've also done an acquisition. Now, I looked at the results and it really brought it... I mean, they weren't bad, the figures. It's profitable again, generating a lot of cash. Um, 
But I have to say, it really brought it home to me, looking at the numbers, just how difficult it is to make money from bars at the moment. Revolution bars, point of difference is they're mainly, obviously, um, late-night bars, but they're, they're all day trading. But uh, it's really Friday, Saturday nights and a midweek student night where they make the, where they make the big bucks. Uh, it's refurbished most of the bars now, and it's self-funding that refurbishment. But the trouble is the fit-outs need to be refurbed. I mean, I, I mystery shopped the, the Bournemouth site, which was, I think it was refurbished, oh God, uh, earlier this year, I think. And it's already looking, starting to look tatty in some places. You know, I'm afraid um, a load of pissed up people in large volumes going through these places, especially a young crowd, there's a certain element who do seem to just trash the place. Why do they vandalise toilets? Oh, the toilet door was coming apart, but somebody had kicked it. You know, you could see that it had been... The, the wood panels were, were, were coming loose and sticking out. Yeah, oh, it just... It just it, it's so... And graffiti and all these things. The paint's all coming off. I think these type of bars just need constant um, attention to maintenance because they're... The users abuse the, the, the space so much. Anyway, it's done a big, big acquisition, Revolution Bars has, of Peach Pubs, 21 gastro pubs. I, th I understand what management are trying to do. Um, they say it's going to sort of broaden the spread of the portfolio of bars away from late night operations, more towards all day, more towards suburbs rather than city centres. I get all that. But I think this acquisition's just happened at the wrong time and at the wrong price. So. And they've funded it with debt. Well, the whole point is, we had two dis heavily discounted placings at Revolution Bars to get it out of the hole it was in with, with too much bank debt originally, pre-COVID. So having seen that all sorted for management now, at this time, in this macro picture, to be um, gearing the company up again, I just don't think that was the right decision. And it also means now that they've had to stop... Um, they haven't now got the funds to acquire new sites when there are so many good deals around and I, I wanted them to roll out the Playhouse format which is their experiential competitive socialising trial so I unfortunately even though I think Rob Pitcher is a superb operational manager of the business I don't think his deal making um, uh, and corporate finance skills uh, 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 are necessarily as good as his operational skills. So I can't get excited about that. The only thing I've got to say is, I mean, Revolution Bars has slipped back down again. The market agrees with me on that, um, based on the you know the, the price coming down about 15 20% this week. Uh, it's so cheap now. God, the market cap for Revolution Bars is really, really cheap, especially as it's now got these nice pubs in there and it should be able to pay down the debt from cash flow providing there's not a serious recession so you can argue I, I can see the bull and the bear case on on revolution bars okay graham looked at 888 holdings now what an interesting section that was that's a fascinating situation i think so have a look at tuesday's report for that and he looked at something called sieta s-e-d that was an ipo due to um something about electric motor patents or something here we are. Wednesday's report contained a link to my written uh, summary of the Sanderson Design Group interview. It actually morphed into a transcript, unfortunately, as I was doing it. So it took hours to type up, three hours. So because it was so big, I put, it put it, I published it as a separate post 
uh, within Stockopedia. So that was published on Wednesday. Now, Revolution Bars. Ah, oh, sorry, that was the day I covered the acquisition of Peach Pubs. Now, ASOS cropped up again on Wednesday. It put out its results for financial year August 2022. Now, I'm quite worried about this company, ASOS. Although it's four billion revenues, it's now loss making. I mean, there are so many adjustments to the accounts and they did a rather bit of sleight of hand thing where they've had to write off a load of inventories to below cost value, uh, which they say as is part of a new strategy to clear excess inventories through other channels, which means the remember the accounting standard is you, you keep inventories on the on the balance sheet at cost, excluding VAT. But you have to do an impairment review every year and make a provision against any stock that has to be sold below cost price. And the term used is net realisable value. So obviously if ASOS is clearing stock through a third party, I don't know who that is, but maybe it's some sort of discount websites, maybe it's TK Maxx, I don't know. They take a chunk of the um, <coughs> retail, the reduced retail price, of course. So the net realisable value to ASOS is below the original cost of the stock. Now this is a big figure. It was over a hundred million quid, and I think through which I think should have been provided for in the year-end accounts. But they used sleight of hand, I think, on this, where they pushed that stock provision cost into the following financial year, ending August 23, with the rationale being, oh well. We only took the decision to clear the stock um, through uh, other channels after the balance sheet date. Therefore, at the balance sheet date, we hadn't decided to do that, so we're including it at cost. Uh, I think that's wrong. I think the auditors should have put their foot down on that, uh, which would have made, obviously, the loss for 8-2022 a lot worse. I think ASOS is now actually financially strained. The positive thing is that they got they've got uh, leeway from their bank, so the bank has um, relaxed the covenants, I think. But I went through the more I went through the results um, statement, this this thing's got big problems. ASOS has, I think, it needs a massive sort out, and they set out the turnaround plan. <clears throat> as if it was all good news, oh, we've identified, we can do this, that and the other. But it basically means the whole business seems to have, I think, done this huge dash for growth over many, many years and has built up all sorts of operational problems. I actually knew somebody who worked in quite a senior role at ASOS (coughs) quite a few years ago, and he said it's a shambles. He said inside um, you have silos of different groups of people who all go out drinking within their silo and are then sort of uh, against the other silos of groups. So the senior managers there, he he reckon, sort of encouraged this culture of, um, you know, all the people politics being against different groups. And, and that's horrendous. You know, you have to have everybody in a company pulling together. And then the gross margin at ASOS is so low. It's only 43.6%, which is, you know, you'll really struggle to make a profit if your gross margin is only 43.6%. And and bear in mind, that's before the big stock write-off, which would have taken that quite a bit lower. There's loads of other problems at ASOS, and way too many um, adjustments. One of the adjustments is a £25 million fee, which they've called it a one-off, called ASOS Reimagined. And the footnotes show that that is consultancy fees. They've paid £25 quid in one year to consultants to tell them how to run the business. 
That's really shocking. Also buried within the P&L is other income of £20.6 million, which is a one-off benefit from closing forex hedges relating to Russia. But that should have been adjusted out, and as far as I can see, it wasn't. It's been shown as if it were uh, normal profits. So I don't particularly like or trust the way these numbers are being presented and the adjustments are excessive. The balance sheet's not great now at ASOS. It'd be down to about 200-odd million once you take into account the stock uh, write-off that for, it comes into the following year. Uh, big lease liabilities again on, on its warehouses. Uh, it's totally dependent now on the bank borrowings. Most of that was off, offset by cash of 323 million, though, on the year-end date. 475 million gross borrowings. But I think this is now in um, a degree of financial distress, ASOS. So I wouldn't assume that the shares are going to necessarily come storming back. That said, it's a hell of a lot of business for the money. And the market you know, is down 90% or more <clears throat> from the peak share price. You know, So you could get a very significant bounce if animal spirits come back into the market. But on fundamentals, I'm worried about ASOS and I'm steering clear of it. Graham looked at some financial sector stocks, which is brilliant, because I don't cover that sector, whereas Graham's a a former fund manager, so he knows it really inside out. So his sections there were fantastic in Wednesday's report. Uh, His sections always are. He's brilliant. And he wrote about Lion Trust Asset Management, ticket LIO, and Provident Financial, PFG, which I think is a subprime lender. Uh, both really interesting uh, sections, so um, see Wednesday's report for that. Right, on Thursday, Graham looked at Jupiter Fund Management. Again, I thought that was a really interesting section. Uh, he looked at IG Design. This is the Christmas paper and cards um, thing that uh, put out a, 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 an inline with full-year expectations update. Uh, that's quite an interesting turnaround, I think. I, I did buy some a while ago but I had just as I've mentioned several times here I've just had a huge clear out of all my uh, of my SpreadX account and I've sold nearly everything basically um, <clears throat> because I didn't want any more margin calls and then I'm now building a buy list of stuff to go back into which it's funny it's not necessarily the same shares as well I think when you've broken that link of actually owning a, sh- a stock you look with a fresh piece of paper what am I going to buy it's often the case, I find, that you think, mm, maybe I'm not going to buy back into that one after all. So, I don't know, I thought that was an interesting sort of psychological point. Graham also looked at another subprime lender called International Personal Finance, IPF. Uh, and as I say, he does great, um, really, really good stuff, particularly on, um, on financials. Now, I looked at, this is Thursday, at Luceco, L-U-C-E, uh, it's another profit warning. Now, a bit of a moan here. I thought the RNS made it all sound moderately, you know, no big deal. But then when I looked at the broker forecast, they'd slashed earnings for the current calendar year by 27%. And they've brought down next year, 20, calendar 2023 forecast, forecast earnings by 39%, which... <clears throat> You know, I think I think if if you're going if you're guiding the brokers to down that much, surely something indicating the extent of the profit miss should also be within the RNS. So it really is vital to check the broker updates as well as at the same time as reading the RNS if you can get hold of the broker updates. 
So it's a tricky one, isn't it? Now, I am concerned about the level of bank debt at Luceco. This is a, it's a lighting and electrical uh, equipment producer. Now, it's becoming clear that they made bonanza profits. Well, it's become completely clear. They made one-off bonanza profits in 2020 and 2021 due to the pandemic. It's now resetting, profits have now reset pretty much back down to where they were pre-pandemic, which means, I'm afraid, that the share price rise from about a pound up to a peak of five pounds has turned out to be pretty spurious. The market assumed that those booming profits were because the company was just a great company and growing, and I think the company thought that itself as well. They didn't predict the customers that that demand would, would, would ebb away, and that it's it's also suffered from destocking this year by customers, which is an interesting general theme, actually. As supply chains are beginning to uh, ease and normalise, a lot of companies are, which were holding excessive inventories in order to ensure supply, are able to wind down those um, inventories. And that, of course, then means that the factory doesn't have orders for a while. Um, and if, you're the, if you own the factory, if your share that we're investing in or name owns the factories, that the factories are now going to be quiet, you have to put out a profit warning. So it's difficult to, to know how all this um, fits together. So, But I concluded, I'm afraid, with Luceco, although it looks very cheap on the chart, I think it's currently priced about right at around 60, 70p. I wouldn't personally... I mean, it was on my watch list or my buy list, but I'm not convinced that actually it's particularly cheap. Uh, and that debt is, is far too high, although they did bring down the debt considerably in Q3 by reducing inventories. So I'm not panicking about the debt, but it is uncomfortably high. And I think they made some rather ill-timed debt-fueled acquisitions during the boom. Uh, now, here's another distress... Well, no, Lusaka isn't distressed, actually. But looking, moving on to one that is, Naked Wines... W-I-N-E, obviously lamentable track record, profit warnings and so on. But I've got to be fair, and I always look at things with, a, with, with fresh eyes. The update it put out this Thursday, I think, does show some progress. The key item is they've managed to renegotiate the bank facilities. So, um, and that, that gives them runway to um, sort things out. Uh, this is another one where they've got, they're massively overstocked. One of the readers made a good point that, you know, if you're in the wine trade, you do have to have quite high inventories because you've got to have a wide range. And, you know, the, the, the lead times, because they're funding producers, you know, the lead times of actually getting it to, to the UK and up for sale quite, could be extended. But the problem I've got is in this... Uh, so Naked Wines is basically telling us in this update all its, its new strategy. Uh, which is to run the business for profit and for cash rather than growth. So it's now a declining business. The forecasts are now that revenues will will be falling. Um, and it's um, the EBIT forecast is very, very good. It's nine to 13 million pound profit, which if they achieve that, and if that's sustainable, then actually this share would be cheap, I think. So I, I, I listed the bull and the bear points because I think I'm on the fence on Naked Wines now, whereas in the past I was negative about it. Uh, I don't like the fact, though, that they're actually talking about increasing inventories further and then taking till 2024 to reduce them. I think within that, the risk is that they're going to have a lot of... Well, they're going to have some wines 
that they can't sell and they have to make a provision against. And buried in the announcement was uh, a, a provision against um, slow selling or, or whatever wine. A bit like ASOS, you know, too much inventories very often turns out to be that there's some dud stuff in there that needs um, a provision made against it, which of course the provision when a naked wine makes wipes out all its profits. So is it really profitable? I think the jury's out on that one, but anyway, I tried to be even-handed on it, so that was Thursday. Gear for Music, uh, again, this share I've done very, very well on in the past, and fortuitously sold it near the top, twice actually, um, which was more luck than judgement. It's down to about £1.10 now, which I think is very cheap, but it did, again, it took on quite a bit of debt to make an acquisition. Um, This update for the first half I thought was pretty good, actually. It was in line. And I think they're limbering up to actually beating forecasts. You can tell that because they talk about the seasonality returning to normal. So I compared the percentages for the pre-pandemic seasonality with what the broker forecasts currently assume. And it looks like the broker's forecasting light for H2. So I'm actually going to stick my neck out here on, on Gear for Music. And I think at the current level, I think it's actually good value. So I'm putting that on my buy list for things I want to... Uh, pick up a, a small opening stake in at some point when I can raise some bloody cash. Um, so that's gear for music, yeah. Oh, also on Thursday, I was feeling a bit um, depressed actually because I'd been to a funeral of an old friend the day before, caught up with a lot of old friends, and uh, several of them have got serious health problems as well. So it's all. Um, yeah, all quite sad, really. So my way of t- coping with, with, with that sort of thing is I just keep myself busy. So I immerse myself in work. And I, I did a mystery shop of the Boom Battle Bars new site in Bournemouth on its opening day. I've been talking a lot about this company. It's owned by XP Factory, XPF. I do have some of these in my SIP as a long-term holding. I think it's a very, very interesting couple of experiential leisure formats escape room um, escape rooms and boom battle bars competitive gaming so anyway I tried out the Bournemouth site took some photos of the games chatted to the staff had a tried a cocktail tried the food blah 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 and anyway I wrote I wrote up a review of it just to keep my mind off other things on Thursday evening the readers seem to love it I'm amazed it got 77 thumbs ups my uh, written report with photos on this. So I thought that was quite fun. So, you know, why don't readers on Stockopedia do the same? If you want a mystery shop somewhere, do a review of it. The readers seem to love that sort of thing. So that was quite fun. Moving on to Friday then. Most of my time on Friday was spent up, taken up doing another CEO interview because there's quite a bit of preparation time um, to set these things up if you want them to be to be uh, good quality, you know, um, you've got to know the figures inside out and have them all in your head ready for follow-up questions and all that sort of thing. So it is a lot of work, but I love doing them. Anyway, I interviewed the CEO, and the readers seem to really like them too, so I'm going to try and do at least one a week CEO interviews. And as I say, I pick the companies, so I'm only picking the best stuff that I've found uh, in the Small Cap Valley report. So it's really quite different to what other people are doing. Although I have to say, PI World uh, are very selective about who they represent too. And Tamsin's utterly brilliant, um, so professional. And um, so I'm a big, big uh, supporter of PI World. 
Anyway, so the company I interviewed on Friday was a previous mystery share, actually. Um, Zotfoams, Z-T-F. The more I research this company, the more I like it. Um, I think this is a really, really good long-term. All my ideas are long-term. These are not, you know, trades or, or tips. These are just companies that I think have a really good whole selection of positive uh, long-term factors. They've grown the business about about double in the last five or six years. So it's good, really strong organic growth at Zotfoams. And they've got big market opportunities. They see, they claim to be the only company in the uh, in the world using particular proprietary techniques for making uh, lightweight, very durable, uh, fireproof um, foams for all sorts of th- applications, numerous applications. Um, they've also got a lovely blue sky project um, called Resource with a Z for uh, drink food and drink uh, cartons and packaging, which if it works, um, could be seriously big uh, business. You know, the CEO um, has previously said, if this takes off, you know, in a few years' time, it could double the size of the of the business. So, it's, and that's basically in for free. Uh, it it Firms is is beating forecasts. They were lowered early in the year, though. To be fair, um, anyway, I really enjoyed interviewing David Sterling, the CEO. He seems a, a really solid, um, very experienced chief. He was actually in Germany at a trade show, uh, talking to me on his mobile in a in a quiet corner. Um, so the signal on the audio wasn't brilliant, but we managed to. I, I, I got him to talk, you know, put the microphone right next to his mouth, and it was it was okay. It broke up a couple of times for a few seconds, but the audio is fine. So that's up on my podcast channel, and I've put up the written summary also in a separate post on Stockopedia. Do have a look at Zofoams. I think it could be very good long term, um, and it owns the freeholds to all its factories, um, which offsets and secures the bank debt it's it's done a huge capex program it's totally renewed all its factories and its equipment and it's now beginning to reap the benefits from that and it's got pricing power Zotfoams it's managed to pass on all the raw material rises to its customers and it's still reported revenues up on quite quite strongly on last year I think that one's really good I've got to get some stock personally at some point uh, so that's also on my uh, future buys list Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allocate mystery share status to another stock I looked at on Friday. So have a look at Friday's report if you're a subscriber for something I think is, is very good value. Also, I looked at TriFast. Um, what did I say about that? I remember... F- oh, it was a mild profit warning. Um, down 9%. It's dropped as low as 65p. Uh now it was only a very mild profit one, dropping the guidance from 16.3 million to 14.7 million. This is an industrials fastenings group. Uh, it's saying um, there've been delays in negotiating price rises with customers. That's which I think is a is a legitimate reason for a profit a mild profit warning. I don't have a problem with that. Obviously, customers try and resist resist price rises, don't they? And it takes time to push them through. Um, so they're saying for that reason they're expecting an H2 waiting. Um, so that means the interim results probably won't look that great. Um, it's got a strong balance sheet, actually, but very, very heavy inventories and receivables. Um, but I think I think I looked at the last results and, and to see the balance sheet, and I'm, I'm fine with TriFast's balance sheet. It looks okay. I think it's starting to look cheap, this share. It's not the best quality business, if we're honest. 
So I've concluded on TriFast. I don't think it's the sort of thing I would buy, but I think at 65p, I've allocated it, could be worth a closer look status, which means I'm flagging this as a possible opportunity over to you, dear listeners and dear readers, to do your own research on it, because I only look fairly superficially at things. You know, you need to do much more detailed research on your own um, bat, I think. A quick bit of general commentary. Um, We've obviously had quite a nice bounce on the main indices, particularly in America, and that always triggers um, some some pent-up buying interest in the UK. And and the small cap space, it did feel this week as if we got some, some fairly sensible buying in some of the better quality small caps that I follow. Um, <clears throat> is sentiment beginning to turn positive? I don't know. Nobody knows, do they? Because it's all driven by <clears throat> unknown factors with, with Ukraine, with energy, with um, uh, inflation and so on. Although I would say, so, so we just don't know. If the, is this another bear market rally? It could be. It might not be. I just don't know. But I do have a feeling this week that we may be starting to see some, well, we are starting to see some decent quality cheap small caps bottoming out. You can see that on the charts for quite a few of them, actually. They've now spent several months sort of forming a base and beginning to turn up. I know Cockney Rebel, Richard Crow loves his bowls on the chart, and he's been uh, tweeting out quite a few potential bowl candidates. And, you know, there are a lot of people who do, who do uh, uh, momentum-following trading strategies, and I think, you know, hats off to them. It's If, 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 it, if, it, in, if it got them out at the t- near the top and it means they want to see evidence that market, markets are bottoming and turning up before they go back in, sounds sensible to me. You know, maybe I should... Um, Maybe I should take a leaf out of their book for my own strategy. So, yeah, it does feel as if some of the small caps could be actually finding a a, a bottom. And as I said at the beginning of this recording, I'm very bullish at the individual company level. I'm finding so many lovely companies almost on a daily basis that are now priced you know, priced for really, really low earnings. Now, they could even disappoint on earnings, could be even lower this year. But you're not just buying this year's earnings. You're buying all the earnings. And once the economy economy uh, sorts itself out, which it always does, um, you know, you, I can see so many of the shares I look at being worth double the current price. That is commonplace now. I think, on fundamentals, the shares I look at, many of them are are basically on half-price sale at the moment. So I think it's very, very um, tempting for people with cash piles to put some of that that cash pile to work now. A friend of mine, I was discussing this with a friend of mine, he's he's had a windfall and, you know, he didn't want to risk it on shares. And I said, but your valuations now are so attractive. I mean, uh, I'm looking at lots of stuff now and actually thinking these are once in a cycle cheap valuations on some of these companies if you can live with the risk of another plunge down you know if you're nervous and you think you'd panic sell then best to sit on the cash isn't it bonds are looking interesting i think as well i'm not a bond specialist but i uh, soak up information on it from some friends who are who are bonds experts that i have lunch with every now and again always always interested to learn about those now you can get some quite good yields on some of these bonds and if inflation comes down next year then if you bought a bond with a nice long-term yield of five six seven percent something like that or more even 
you know, you're going to be sitting pretty, aren't you? Once inflation's gone back to two or three percent, which it probably will, uh, you'll get a lovely capital um, gain as well as having locked in um, that nice uh, flow of income. So I think bonds for people who know what they're doing could be actually quite an interesting area at the moment, which brings me on to inflation. Now, the reason I'm increasingly believing that inflation probably will fall and potentially quite sharply next year is because of what companies are saying. The small caps I'm covering, several this week have said inflationary pressures, uh, excluding energy, are beginning to abate. Um, Zotfoam said that. They said the polyethylene, I think it is they use, you know, is now well down from the um, peak price. Um, and conversations with customers are now starting to turn to actually the customers want the, want the selling prices to go back down again or at least be trimmed because obviously they know what the raw materials cost and so on. And other companies are saying the same. Uh, freight costs are going to be much, much cheaper. They've collapsed from the peaks um, from, from bringing goods in, in containers. So, um, and that's a big number on the margin for lots of companies. Uh, you know, if you can uh, bring things in, in by sea now, uh, at much, much, much cheaper freight prices, that will that will feed through um, into into the the margins improving, and obviously stock av- availability of stock in in some sectors is beginning to improve as supply chains loosen up. There are still shortages, of course, in in many other sectors, particularly with chips and uh, tech tech equipment. Uh, several companies have said they want to put in LED lighting and solar panels, but they can't get the kit. So that's interesting, isn't it? And Luceco actually has an LED lighting division, so they should that division at least should should do well. So I do think there is increasing evidence that inflationary pressures are set to fall. The other thing is, I follow a website with the wholesale prices of UK gas and electricity, and they're plunging. They're plunging. They re- now, obviously, we have very mild weather at the moment, so that could change. But you know, a mild October where people don't actually need to use any heating at all. I haven't, but I'm on the south coast, so it is mild here uh, most of the time. And um, so I think there are actually some positives coming through. And you know, markets do look forward. So maybe conditions are building for the market to have put in a bottom. I don't know. Uh, I'm only looking at the evidence. I don't know what market sentiment will do, but I'm still very worried about the financial system overall, which I've covered in a couple of previous podcasts. You know, you can't have these massive collapse in in equities, bonds and property valuations without it causing some big leveraged problems within the system. There'll be, there are bound to be banks or shadow banks with some serious liabilities problems and with pension funds i know people say oh the measurement of the liabilities will have dropped greatly because of the way they're valued on bond yields you know discounted using bond yields which means the liabilities shrink but the real world liabilities haven't shrunk they're actually going up you know the pensions that are paid to the pensioners are rising by usually a cap of 5%. So those, the real-world liabilities for these pension funds have gone up. But their asset values on a mark-to-market basis have crashed. You know, some of these pension funds will have assets maybe down by a third because they were heavily into bonds, which, of course, bonds have massively sold off. So I'm worried about pension schemes, actually. You know, it might... The way the numbers are worked out... It, oh, there's Mum. She's the only person who ever rings on the landline. Hang on a sec.
I'm, I'm, I'm just recording the podcast. Can I call you back in two minutes? Nothing urgent, nothing urgent. Right, I'll call you back in literally two minutes. Bye! Sorry about that. Um, now, what was I going to say? So, yeah, I'm still really worried about the financial system overall, but um, I'm really excited about small cap valuations. So how we balance that up? That's up to you, dear listeners, isn't it? Uh, we all have to make up our own minds. But anyway, I'm not selling anything in my SIP. I'm, I'm sitting 100% invested in what I think are, are really good little companies. So we'll see. All right, I think I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening, and I love your feedback. So do post comments and obviously spread the word, because uh, I'd like to build the audience. And, um, yeah, and thank you to all the Stockopedia subscribers for... Um, funding my time to do the the research that's why i hold back um some of the best ideas for you righto i'll leave it there bye